Good morning and Merry Christmas. What a wonderful morning. I mentioned this last night if you were here, but uh, Christmas will not be on Sunday for another 11 years. So, and if you're trying to do the math, don't forget leap year. So it's not every seven years, it's 11 years. So thank you for coming. And uh, if you want all the nerdy mathematic ways to look at the chart of 5, 6, 5, 11, I'll be happy to share that with you if you don't care. I'll see you Sunday in 11 years on Christmas. So with that, Merry Christmas. And if you are able to stand for the reading of God's Word, we are going to go to Luke 2 and pick up from the story at verse 8. Luke 2. Verse 8. And it reads, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was a baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherd told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time, this day, to remember and celebrate the birth of your son, that you sent your son to become a man, to be the perfect sacrifice, fully God, fully human. And Lord, as we worship and celebrate you, we're just thankful. We're thankful for your birth and what that means for us, that you saved the world. And thank you for the encouragement that you sent angels to tell the shepherds first. That gives us hope for all of us. The lowly of lows and highs of highs, Lord. So Lord, as we prepare our hearts to receive your word by your spirit, just pray that uh, you bless this time. Use me however you see fit. Whatever you want me to say, I say. And whatever you don't, I don't. We bless you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. So this morning, as we celebrate Christmas, the birth of our Savior, we also are closing out our series, Encounters with Jesus. And with that, um, just so you know, we'll continue to leave out the cards that you see in front of your seat and uh, encourage you to continue to pay attention to your encounters with Christ and write them down or submit them online or turn them on, turn them into... I was going to say Instaface, but Instagram, whatever it's called. And um, 
I'm only 40. I should probably get that down. Anyways, but uh, we're going to go into a new series. Um, we're going to take a look at Psalm 23, but we'll talk about that next week. But we want to continue to encourage you to pay attention to your encounters with Christ all year long. And we'll probably leave these cards out until we run out and then get some more. But really the hope is that you're paying attention for the encounters. And I know I've mentioned this before, but I have appreciated personally reading your encounters, hearing uh, the people who've shared their encounters, and also helping me pay attention to my encounters. And as I, again, mentioned before, not just when I was saved so many years ago, but my encounter daily. And also today, um, Ashley Key is going to share an encounter um, so the worship team knows. By the way, Ashley Key is sharing an encounter this morning. Um, thank you for being willing to share, Ashley. Um, but I'm excited for those encounters. I'm excited for her encounter and all of your encounters. And now as we transition to Christmas and we think about um, this encounter with the shepherds, I've, I've considered this in many ways, the very first encounter with Christ, the shepherds. Now you can argue Mary and Joseph and and all that, but the first announcement, the proclamation of the arrival of our king. And I think it's an important, first of all, to consider how shepherds were viewed at this time. Um, in short, they were hated, and they were barely tolerated. It had not always been this way, though. Shepherds were held to such a high standard and looked on fondly. Their forefathers, the Jewish forefathers, the heroes of their faith, if you will, were shepherds, Moses, Abraham, and Isaac. Even Job had 14,000 sheep. But at some point, shepherds began to move down the social, economic, and acceptance class. But sometime around the time when the first temple was destroyed and the Jewish people were taking, taken into captivity, the people, many of the people who were left behind were the shepherds because... Who needs a shepherd when you're in Babylonian? Who cares about the shepherds? So at some point, the shepherds were left with their sheep. And then, of course, there was arguments if they stole other sheep, and then they just started going down. So once, and I know earlier this year, we went through Nehemiah and Ezra. Once the temple was rebuilt, the shepherds were then kind of accepted a little bit, but never really restored to that proper place until this night, until this morning of Christ's birth. It was such a low, desirable profession that the youngest boy in the family would have to be the shepherd. So if you were the oldest boy at this time, you would pray that your parents had another boy so you didn't have to be the shepherd. The oldest got everything, all of the possessions, and the youngest got to be the shepherd, even if it was three sheep, four sheep, or many more. But again, considering that the shepherds used to be of noble position, perhaps the most famous of the younger brothers who was a shepherd was King David. Do you remember that story that King David was left out tending to his father's sheep whenever they were trying to make a decision who would replace the new king, who would replace this Saul? And there, there's tons of parallels about shepherds actually being good. One of the roles that the shepherds would play is they would be the physician of their sheep. Who is the good physician? God. Who's eventually known as the good shepherd, who calls himself the good shepherd, the one we celebrate his birth, Jesus. 
So, and, and part of the reason, like I mentioned, is when the temple was destroyed and the, the shepherds were left out, uh, when they returned, that is the Jewish people returned, uh, that's whenever they started writing the Talmud and the Mishnah. The Talmud is instructions that the rabbis would pass down orally. It's called the oral law. And then the Mishnah was the instructions the rabbis would collect and write down. And here's are some of the statements that the rabbis at this time of Jesus' birth wrote down. No help should be given to heathens and shepherds. Well, they're all the same. If a shepherd is, if you come across a shepherd who has fallen in a crevice, a cabin, a tavern, leave them there. They're better off dead. And here's a rough order of what they put. The worst of the worst is those with leprosy. Second is shepherds, but they probably have leprosy too. They were not allowed to be a witness. They are not allowed to be a witness, an eyewitness, or give any account in proper court or any official ruling. They are less than second-class citizens. I can go on and read more, but I think you get the point. They were despised. They were nasty and dirty. There's one other thing. They were not allowed to participate in any uh, rituals. They weren't allowed to be a part of the temple. If a rabbi was sensitive enough, he would come out and share something with them but usually not. They were so despised, but yet so desperately needed because what did shepherds take care of? Sheep. What was the sacrifice at that time? Sheep. So it was a love-hate relationship. So as we consider this and we walk through this um, story that is familiar, I, I really want to pay attention to the encounter that the shepherds have looking at how the angels come to them, their response, their response to being a good shepherd, and then, of course, the response to Christ Jesus. So let's consider this just a moment. So as we look, that night in verse 8, it says, that night there were shepherds staying in the field nearby, guarding their flocks. I just want to point two things out real quick. I'm going to jump through the verses a little bit. Just take a look at verse 8 and verse 20 here. That night the, the, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks. In the original Greek, it's saying, with their bodies, they were protecting their flocks. Now, if you jump down to 20, and I know we're jumping around, after this whole event that we read, if you see in verse 20, it says, the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told. But you notice, after what they did, they went back to their flocks. Their primary focus was to take care and guard their sheep with their life. That's why whenever, again, when we hear that when Christ says he is the good shepherd, this is the image that we have. I know for many years, one of the sayings that I kept holding on to is make your next step an obedient one. It's still my go-to verse, especially whenever I fumble, mess up, make a mistake, sin, or just straight dumb. Um, once I get a hold of myself, I say, okay, what's the next step that I can take? Hopefully my next step will be an obedient one. And what I appreciate here is that God came down they were the first ones to find out. And after they went and spread the good news, which we'll talk about, what did they do? Their next step was an obedient one to the last thing Christ had asked them to do. So whatever your role is, do that well until Christ calls you to something else. So many times we get ahead of ourselves and as soon as we have an inkling 
of something new to do, we kind of drop it. That's why if ever you have a job and you give your two-week or your month or two-month notice, they call you a short-timer. At least they did for me. Because the assumption was once you give your notice, you're no longer working hard. Not for the shepherds. The moment they were done, they went back. Now, this has been a theme for shepherds for so long. If you go to 1 Samuel 17, it'll be on the screen. This is when David is going to fight Goliath. Let me read it to you. 1 Samuel 17, verse 17 through 20. It says, One day Jesse said to David, Jesse's David's father, Take this basket of roast grain and these ten loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers. And give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army in the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines with Goliath. Verse 20, very important. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battles of cries. Notice that his dad, his dad, Jesse comes, David's dad, Jesse comes and says, here, I want you to take this to your brothers and this cheese to the captains and essentially take care of them. But I want to know how my sons are doing because all of David's brothers at this time is in the army, except for him. Why is he not in the army? He's a shepherd. You don't want to hang out with a shepherd. So verse 20 said, here's your new instruction. So what's the first thing he did? He left the sheep with another shepherd. He made sure that his responsibilities were taken care of. So although these shepherds have now become despised and not liked, they're actually some of the most trusted people in the world. So as you consider this, as we consider this, the shepherds are very responsible, even with a night like this when they come and see the Lord born. So if we go back up to Luke uh, verse, Luke 2, verse 9, it says, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. Surrounded them. They were terrified. You would too. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. So a couple of things here. Why were they... So terrified. And to find out that God came in human form. A couple of reasons. They were shepherds. They were despised. Why would anything from heaven come and bother them unless they had done something wrong? Has your parent, has, when you were growing up, your mom and dad, or there's kids in the service, your mom and dad call your name and you freeze? And you hadn't even done anything wrong, but they just have that tone that you're terrified. At least that's how it was when I was growing up. Dallas Lee Jackson. I didn't mean to say my middle name. Don't use it against me. But Dallas Lee Jackson and I froze. It's time for dinner. Oh, good thing. I don't, I don't know what I did wrong, but I'm sorry. But that's how it was. They were so terrified. And notice this. And notice that it's one angel that comes. It's almost as if they needed to be prepared for what was to come. Again, there's some other reasons. Um, not just that they were in trouble, but I can only imagine their responses. What's wrong? What did I do wrong? 
What's going on? And if you remember, for 400 years, roughly 400 years, it's the period of silence. Nothing from the prophets, nothing. that has been several generations, and no one has heard from God. The eager anticipation that the Messiah at some point is coming. You know, whenever you're waiting for something, but you don't have a date, so you're anxious, and whenever it finally comes, you're unsure of it. It's like whenever you're about to go on vacation, you plan out a vacation and you're excited to go to it. And the week before you think, is this really going to happen? Am I going to get sick? What's going to happen? What kid's going to hurt themselves that we won't be able to go? Is this true? So they're shocked and they are amazed. One other thing to note about these shepherds before we get into their encounter with the angels. They are in Bethlehem. So they are Bethlehem's shepherds. And the Bethlehem shepherds were known to care for the temple's flock. So every year at Passover, the pilgrimage of all the Jewish people would come to the temple to sacrifice the lamb. So the Bethlehem shepherds, what they would do is they would pay attention to the finest sheep. The best looking sheep, the one that was pure, the one without blemish. And you know what they would do when they identified one is they would wrap them with cloth. The same as Jesus is wrapped with cloth. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb. So for these shepherds in particular, they would have known when they saw Jesus, this is the Messiah. He's wrapped in the cloth, the same cloth potentially that we wrap the lambs that are sold for sacrifice on our behalf. So perhaps better than anyone, these shepherds knew what the explanation of the perfect lamb would look like. So here they are. They get these good news. These, they, they hear and they say, don't be afraid. There's a reassurance. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, the one you've been waiting for, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in the manger. And then verse 13, suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. A host, specifically a vast host. A host is a military term, a band of soldiers. And if you were with us when we took a look at the encounter with the man who was demon-possessed, if you remember when Jesus said, what is your name? And the demon said, legion, for we are many. Legion is a military term for roughly 600. A host is another military term for a band of soldiers, which can mean thousands or tens of thousands of angels showing up. So just to modernize it a little bit. When the Allied forces invaded Normandy, there was 156,000 troops that stormed the beaches. That was considered three hosts. Essentially, a host of 50,000. So imagine this, if you will, for the scale. 50,000, 75,000 angels showing up. That's hard to wrap my mind around. I don't even know what 50,000 anything looks like. I try to consider looking at a stadium, how many people. I mean, I can't fathom the stadium of angels coming 
And it's a good thing. That's why I really believe that the first angel showed up and said, hey, don't be alarmed. It's going to get weird, and you're going to freak out and probably potty your pants. Like, like I, don't, I don't know how else to describe it. And angels, just to consider angels a little bit more, angels are mentioned 273 times in the Bible and are mentioned in 34 books of the Bible. We don't know how many angels there are, but Hebrews 12 talks about the angels are innumerable. And there are different descriptions or classifications of angels like cherubim and seraphim. Um, And the way that they look with the rotating wheels and the eyes and the wings and not the pretty little blonde hair angels necessarily that you think of. But imagine that scene. It's as if the way that I picture it really is the sky is torn open and a glimpse into heaven. And for me, when I read this and I consider what a host actually means, I imagine every angel in the universe is there. Why wouldn't the angel be there? Why wouldn't every angel be there? The Messiah is born. And from what I can tell from verse 14, when the angels, this heavenly host, this vast host of angels, the armies of heaven praising glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. From what I can tell, angels are only recorded three times singing or praising God in this way of song. The first is at creation. And I don't see, at least in scripture, we don't see angels ever singing again after the fall, after sin, until Christ is born. And after Christ, we don't see angels singing in this way again until Revelation when God comes to redeem the world. So it's a big deal when angels sing. And I know all of the cartoons and all of the, the movies, I shouldn't say all, but many of it, you see that you picture, at least I do, the angels with the little harp, a little halo, cute little fluffy wings. I don't see any fluffy wings. I don't see them singing. And, verse 13, the armies of heaven, like spooky. Imagine an entire army coming in. This is what the shepherds sing. So after this big singing fest, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom he is pleased, the angel had returned to heaven. So I don't know what that looked like. I tried to picture it. Is it like the sky tears open? They're all singing. Okay, Back to what you were doing and close it up. And then the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. One of the things that I've come to appreciate in studying for these encounters is going through the Gospels is the way that people respond to their encounter. And granted, this is not a direct encounter with Jesus yet. But what I appreciate here is the shepherds have an opportunity to say no. And if you've been with us, we've looked at a couple of people who said, no, thanks, Jesus. I always go back to the rich young ruler when he said, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, sell everything and give to the poor and follow me. And he walks away and he doesn't do it. And yet these shepherds, they say, yes, we'll do it. I mean, they just had this encounter with this vast army of angels praising God. And granted, I would imagine it would be difficult to say, no thanks, you might send your armies to get me. But I would imagine the way that they were treated all of their lives, 
they had to have think, why us? Why me? And perhaps that's a question that you've asked yourself. Why me? Why us? Why would God come for me? Why does he care for me? And the great news is he does. If you were the only person on earth, he would have sent his son for you. So they, they respond, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. Let's stop there and consider that. Again, he's, he's wrapped. They would have recognized this is the perfect lamb, this lamb that is going to be a perfect sacrifice for us. But what, the interesting thing is, is this week as I was studying this, and in my attempt to look at a familiar passage with fresh, fresh eyes is very challenging. I don't know what, about, what it is about looking at a familiar, as I always try to, I always ask and pray, can you reveal something new to me? And sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. But on this particular time, the thing that I noticed for the first time, and you're smarter than me, you probably already figured this out, but this is the first time that God has shown up other than something terrifying. If you just consider that for a moment, all the other times that we read about God in the Old Testament, up until this point, he shows up as a whirlwind. He shows up as a tornado. He shows up as a burning bush. He, shows, he covers Moses' eyes. He comes as a whisper, but where is it coming from? All of the times that God has shown himself after the fall has been very terrifying. This is the first time that God shows up and one Humans are able to view him. You remember when Moses sees God, he actually, it says in the King James Version, he sees God's backside because he covers him. You remember when he comes back down the mountain, he has to wear a veil because he is so shiny from the glory of God that people can't even look behind him. So this is the first time that people can view God because he's come in human form. And this is the first time that he is not a terrifying Natural disaster, if you will. A baby. A cute, cuddly baby who needs to be taken care of. I know I've mentioned this before, probably last Christmas, but I remember several years ago um, for our manger scene, we have manger scenes and we did have a little doll that was baby Jesus. And one of the girls, when they were very young, was combing baby Jesus' hair. And putting little pigtails. And I was upset, not because of the pigtails, but I was thinking, Jesus doesn't need you to comb his hair. What? I got all theological. But I was totally wrong. Of course Jesus needed his hair combed. I mean, he came as a baby. He was totally dependent on his parents and mostly dependent on God the Father in heaven. So of course he needed his hair combed. Jesus needed his diaper changed. This whirlwind, this craziness, this, this fire, God is so intimidating, has come and as a baby and needs his diaper changed. That's how much God loved us and loves us, is that he is willing to leave the throne of power for some soggy drawers and milk. That should, that should humble us. The God of the universe came as a baby. So 
Verse 16, as we read, they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was baby Jesus lying in the manger. And after seeing him, verse 17, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. You remember earlier, one of the rabbis, many of the rabbis wrote that they were not allowed to be a witness or an eyewitness. Now they've become the greatest witness of all time. Just as we were discussing a few weeks ago, those with leprosy were considered, and leprosy equated to sin. Blindness equated to sin. Shepherd equated to sinners. So the sinners of the world are the ones who bring the good news. I don't know about you, but when I meet people who have come to Christ, who have lived in terrible, awful, hard life, they become the greatest evangelist there is because they know what the low of the low is. And here, those who are not allowed to give witness in court gives witness to the world, the good news, the gospel message. And they're so excited to do it. They were so proud to be able to be accepted finally. And all who heard, verse 18, all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. And then the shepherds went back to their flocks, back to their jobs, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, and it was just as the angel had told them. It's interesting, in in the Greek, just as the angel had told them, it's linking back to just as all of the prophecies had ever been prophesied in the past. So, course in very Dallas Jackson form I looked up what would be the mathematic probability of the prophecy and it was difficult to come up with but there's 456 prophecies that Jesus had fulfilled in his lifetime and I think there was 36 prophecies that were fulfilled just by him being born in Bethlehem. A professor at Westmont University had all of his students, which was over 600, calculate the probability for even just eight prophecies, let alone 456 prophecies, just eight prophecies to be fulfilled. And they come to the conclusion, they've come to the conclusion that it would be 10 to the 17th power. One in the 10 to the 17 power. 10 with 17 zeros after that, whatever number that is. Then he would go on to describe, let's, he said, let's just take the fact that 30-something, he said 34 or 36 prophecies were fulfilled with Jesus being born. He said, the probability is like this. There's many more zeros than 17, probably over 50. Let's say you take a gold... Take 50,000 gold coins and you mark just one and you throw them into Texas and you bury them two feet deep. Then you take Texas and you shake it up. Then you say, go find the one I marked and they find it. That's the chance of the probability. In conclusion, he says, it wasn't by chance, but by God's design to not only say what he was going to do, but how he was going to do it and more importantly, actually do it. He concludes, any man who rejects Christ as the Son of God is rejecting a fact, proved perhaps more absolutely than any other fact in the world. The probability is 100%. 
It's mind-blowing just to think that every odd was against us as humans. And the reason for the season, yes, is Christ, but for his love for us. And as we consider this about Christ's coming, the word becoming flesh as a baby, mentioned it, but why a baby? Why fully God, fully human as a baby? What I wrote here is, how could Jesus show us how to walk if he never crawled? How could we follow in his footsteps if he never showed us his first footstep in the direction of Christ? Being faithful to God the Father, always returning back to him. The shepherds were the first to encounter the living Christ after the parents. And now we come to celebrate the redemption of the world. Last night we talking about oh holy night and how the soul has found its worth and how we get to celebrate that and not only are humans redeemed but the world is redeemed through this act of love so this morning as we continue to praise the lord and as you prepare to go home and open up more presents or go to whatever meal to remember that christ came for each and every one of us willingly just as he was willingly staying on the cross. At any time he could have said no, but he said yes because of his love. Praise the Lord for that and Merry Christmas. So at this time, I would like to invite Ashley Key up. Let's welcome her. Um, hi, Merry Christmas. I'm Ashley, if you don't know me. Um, I'm probably going to cry, just to warn you. <laughs> um, but my encounter happened um, last Sunday slash Monday. Um, a little backstory: The um, season we are in financially, every dollar counts, and every dollar is spoken for the month before. <laughs> um, but our son Shepherd had a seizure the day before Thanksgiving, and he's totally fine, um, praise the Lord. But he did go to the hospital in an ambulance, and we had a few-hour um, emergency room stay. And um, this was our first experience with our new insurance, and we really didn't know what the cost was going to be. And we were pretty stressed about what it was, and I tried to look it up. I could never find an exact amount, so I kind of just, well, we just have to wait. <laughs> um, fast forward to last Sunday, and Pastor Dallas handed Hayden a card. And this time of year, we didn't think much of it, because it's Christmas. <laughs> but we got home, and I opened it, and inside was a note saying someone wanted to bless someone anonymously. And so um, there was cash in the card. And I was like, you know, how cool? What are we going to use this for? Um, but it was obviously a blessing. I put it down, just kind of went on with the day. And then the next day, we got the mail. And in the mail was the dreaded hospital bill. And I opened it up, and the amount was dollar for dollar, what was in that card. Um, and so obviously, it made me cry <laughs> and blessed me all over again. And it made me think of a few things. Um, one, that God is good and faithful. And he goes before us and makes a way when we don't see a way. And two, the act of obedience that whoever did give that card, um, without knowing our situation, not even knowing who it was going to go to, um, they just did it. They felt led by the Holy Spirit, and they said yes, and they obeyed. And so it really blessed us. And so, yeah, so thank you.
Yep. You're not helping me. <laughs> so as we close out Christmas service and as we close out the encounters, uh, Ashley's reminder to me of the encounter is that our encounter is not our own. Being faithful to God, just as these shepherds were, has a profound impact on other people. They quickly and hurried, hurriedly went to share the good news and then returned back to their flock. And the person who gave that money to give that money and the person and whatever your encounter is. So make sure that you share your encounter as big or as small as you think it is. It will bless way more people than just you. So with that, Merry Christmas. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you for Christmas. Thank you what it means. Thank you for coming as a baby to show us the way to be the perfect sacrifice. Thank you again in the reminder that there isn't anything that we could do to earn our salvation, but our salvation is in you alone, our faith in you and what you have done. And to watch how you have walked through life as a human from birth to your death, to your resurrection, to ascension, and, and the hope that we have in um, being resurrected with you as we are reminded in Colossians. We have, we have died with you and we will be raised with you in the end. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this Christmas season and we just pray that we will continue to worship you through song and through gift giving and through music and food and everything else that we will do. And Lord, help us not just be thankful and celebrate Christmas today, but for the rest of the year. You're so good, and we thank you. Thank you for the message, the good news that you live for us. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.